Welcome to the Providence Church Podcast. For more Providence Church, visit us online at provchurch.net. That's provchurch.net. Let's get into it. So I brought along this, uh, we have this out actually in our, on our porch. It used to be the dinner bell when we lived out at the old farmhouse there where the kids were out in the yard. We could, you know, ring them in, ring them in for dinner. But this is a, this is a great sound for people who are going through treatments. So we were at Lime Spring where Heather's getting her shots, her, her shots for her amyloids. A couple weeks ago, we were in there getting that done. And uh, at the door, she's in the middle of her, her treatment and we hear this. And those of you who've been through that journey of cancer or had a loved one go through that, when they come to the end of their treatment and they're being discharged from that part of it, the bell rings and it's a great sound. And everybody gets excited when the bell rings. The doctors get excited, the nurses get excited, and the patients really get excited in their family because it's a, it's a marker. It, there's, a, there's a victory that's taking place. Now, there might be more to come. There might be more markers to come. There might be more treatments in the future. There might be other things that happen. But for that moment, we ring the bell and we rejoice in that. It's an awesome thing. There's a palatable sense of rejoicing. And I want to say this this morning. We want to be the kind of church that rings the bell for one another. We're at our last of our core values. We've been doing this now. This is the eighth one. And it is about celebrating life. We rejoice in every story, big and small. All the stories matter. God's writing something in all of our lives. Every story has a purpose and a plan. God's behind his work in our lives. And so when he does his thing, we want to ring the bell. So, you know, when people um, can mark their sobriety anniversary, you know, when, when that happens to celebrate recovery, uh, they clap. I mean, we hit, hey, I'm, I'm three months clean. I'm three years clean. I'm six, I'm six years. And people clap because it's a big deal. You know, we rejoice in that. When a couple is restored in their marriage, let's ring the bell for when, when God helps us overcome. We're, we're at the end of a, a situation. Maybe the marriage seems like it's going off the cliff. It's not going to make it, but God does something. And he does. And so we ring the bell. When the prodigal comes home, we ring the bell when the prodigal comes home. You, some of you have had prodigal children or you have a, a child now that's struggling, an adult child that has wandered away. And when they have signs of coming home, when there's a movement in their spirit towards God and you've been praying for that, we ring the bell for that. When one of your children makes a good choice in the face of temptation. Now, this is a, maybe a small thing on the scale, but it's a big thing. Because when your kids learn at 7, 8, 9, 10 how to resist temptation, they're getting equipped. So when they're 16, 17, and 18, they have a track record that they're building on. So we want to rejoice. We want to rejoice when our kids face down temptation and say, I'm I'm trusting you, God, and I'm, I'm turning away from that thing. When someone receives Christ as their Savior... Ring that bell, right? So there's a lot of occasions, a lot of reasons in our lives when we should be rejoicing in the work of God as in our families, in our church family. And there's an underlying conviction to this value. 
And the underlying conviction is this. God is always at work in our lives. Always. We, we might not see it. We might not feel it. We might not always be able to identify it. But we believe, as we read the Scripture, and as we understand the work of the Holy Spirit, that living in us who believe, that in fact God is always at work in a lot of seasons in our lives. And that's really important. So when it's painful, and there are seasons of discipline that we're going through, we rejoice the fact that, hey, it means God loves me. Because the Bible says he disciplines those he loves. Hallelujah, I'm worthy of discipline. He loves me enough to get this thing out of my life and to deal with this. And, and so painful as it is, hard as it is, God, you love me. That's a good thing. When our faith is being refined as pure gold, Peter, first Peter said, he says, through the fire. You're being tested through the fire as, as gold, refining of gold. And the dross is coming off. And when it's hard in that way, uh, but there's something precious and God-honoring coming. And so we ring the bell. We rejoice even when it's hard and we're being refined in that way. And when we are enjoying a season of rest and blessing, and aren't those awesome? I mean, they seem to be, you know, staggered. You know, we all need seasons of rest because there's a lot of difficulties that we face. So when we get a season of rest and it seems things seem like they're going well, hallelujah. Let's praise God for that because around the bend, there's probably something coming, right? So we rejoice and we ring the bell in that. Here's the thing. When we declare that one of our values is celebrating life, that we as a church want to have a culture of celebration, we also acknowledge that life is hard, that conflict is inevitable, that suffering is real. So this is not a value about putting on a fake smile. This isn't put on a happy face. You know, you sing that, put on a happy face. It's not that. That's not what this value is about. Rather, we are passionately committed to living out what the Bible calls us to. And one of the things the Bible calls us to in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, is this. Rejoice, Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep or mourn with those who mourn. And so it's both. It's both. This value doesn't eliminate all that stuff that we have to go through in terms of comforting one another and caring for one another through hard times. But the heart behind this value is that we want to be a people marked by joy, not dour, not duty-bound, not dismal, because there are many Christians who could be rightly accused of living joyless lives. Uh, kind of smug, if you will. A lot of Christians who are just grinding their way through keeping the rules. Let me keep the rules because that's what pleases God. Let me. And so there's a faction of the body of Christ that's really intent on just, mm, and your, their face shows it. I'm grinding through. And so the Bible tells us we really don't have to grind through because we have the, we have the Holy Spirit working in us to help us and enable us to, to please God, only, only by his grace and only through the work of the Spirit in our lives. But we want to acknowledge that. We want our DNA at Providence to reflect that we are genuinely excited and about and thankful for the work that God is doing in each other's lives, that we see it, 
that we're in community together, that we're in relationship together. And so when one rejoices, all rejoice. And of course, when one suffers, we suffer together. So we're not, again, minimizing that, but let's understand the importance of, of seeing and rejoicing in what God's doing. We want to be a church that has eyes to see God's hand and worship him for that, looking for that thread of God's handiwork in each other's lives, loving each other through whatever comes. So this value is fundamentally about that. And it's actually, and Chuck and I were talking about this the other day, it's actually the opposite of envy. Because when you're envious envious of someone, you can't rejoice. You won't rejoice. You'll be like the the guy I was reading about, there's two shopkeepers and they were bitter rivals and their stores were directly across the street from each other. And they would spend each day keeping track of, of each other's businesses. And if one got a customer, he would smile and triumph at the arrival of, at, at his rival across the street. I got one, you didn't. One night an angel appeared to one of the shopkeepers in a dream and said, I will give you anything you ask, but whatever you receive, your competitor will receive twice as much. Would you, would you be rich? You can be very rich, but he will be twice as wealthy. Do you wish to live a long and healthy life? You can, but his life will be longer and healthier. And so the angel said, what is your desire? And the man frowned and he thought for a moment. And then he said, here's my request. Strike me blind in one eye. Hmm. One sign of jealousy is when it's easier to show sympathy and weep with those who weep than it is to exhibit joy and rejoice with those who rejoice. Envy will kill you. I talked about it last week. You know, greed is when you, you want green grass like your neighbor. Envy and then moves to, I hope his grass turns brown. So this value is the opposite of envy. Rejoicing with each other. The other, the other driving force behind this value just like all the rest of them that we've talked about, is that we want to to reflect the heart of our Father in heaven. These values are designed to help us as a church be reflecting who our God is. And so if you look in in your Bible this morning at Luke chapter 15, there's a a tremendous uh, passage there, one of the great passages in all the New Testament, actually. It's very familiar. Uh, The story of, there's the story, of course, of the lost son in here, the prodigal, we call him. But there's also, we begin with the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. I'm going to read the first two, and then we'll summarize the the prodigal. Most of you know that story. But verse 1 of chapter 15. Now, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners, quote, were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What's wrong with him? this holy teacher. And then Jesus, knowing this, told them this parable. He said, suppose one of you has a a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, look, look what happens. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. There's that word rejoice. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Verse seven, Jesus said, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need 
to repent. And then verse 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? All out search. And when she finds it, verse 9, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he goes on to talk about this son. And you know the story. He leaves home. He gets for his inheritance. He cashes it in. He goes. He spends it all on wine and women and song and ruins his life. He's in the pit. He's, in the, he wants, he's so bad. He, he's, he's sleeping with the pigs, right? And then he comes to his senses, says, maybe I need to go home. I can be a slave in my father's house, a servant. I'll live in the servant house. I won't be in the main house. I'll live out in the out, out, outer house out there just to, just to go home. And so he goes home and the father meets him on the way. You know the story. He embraces him. He rejoices. He says, hey, let's kill the fatted calf today. Let's celebrate today. Let's rejoice today for my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was once lost is now found. And so there's great, and of course, the, the brother has, the older brother has a problem with that. And they have a conversation and God speaks to his heart. The father speaks to his heart. I, I've always, you've always been with me. What I have is yours. But this son, this son has been away. He's been lost. He's been, and really in a sense, in a sense dead to us. And now he is alive and rest, being restored to us. And so they have, they, they rejoice together over that. What an awesome story. And, and so in each one, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, in each case, as you read the scripture there in Luke 15, the response is the same. Rejoice, 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 right? Uh, in fact, the context, isn't it interesting? The context is that there's accusation and there's muttering happening. And the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What is his problem? Why is he doing this? Exactly. And then the answer is he's doing exactly what his father has sent him to do. In fact, in Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus, at the end of that encounter, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That's why I'm here. That's why I've come. So, so he's modeling, he's speaking to it in, in Luke 15 about these parables, and then he's modeling it again in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus as he restores him. Here's the thing. Heaven gets excited God rejoices when lost things and lost people are found. God rejoices when lives are restored. God rejoices when his children gain victories over things that once held them captive. When you overcome something in your life, guess what? As God's helping you, there's a party in heaven. God's excited when you see victories in your life. And you, I know, I know you're having them. And yeah, we have some setbacks. And yes, we have some failures along the way too. But when those victories come, hallelujah, heaven rejoices when lost things, when broken things in your life get restored. That's a big deal in God's, in God's economy. All of us have a mixture of things in our lives. So you've got good things. 
You've got some bad things. You've got some ugly things, right? I mean, if we're all honest about ourselves and our hearts and what we struggle with and battle with in our lives, there's the good, there's the bad, and there is the ugly. And so there are victories in areas where we are overcoming, and there are defeats and setbacks in places where we are stuck and where temptation has been winning out. And so the call there, of course, is to pray for one another and to cry for each other and to come alongside of each other and to support each other. We need that. So when we talk about rejoicing with one another, there's a whole range of things included in this as God works. When we talk about the importance of rejoicing with one another and living out of a deep sense of God's presence and his joy in our lives, I'm reminded of a bell ringing moment with the disciples in their lives. And so if you just flip back a couple of chapters to uh, chapter Luke, Luke chapter 10. So if you're in 15 where the lost coin, lost sheep, lost son, but back to Luke 10, it may be, may be a story that you've heard before or seen, just a reminder this morning. So in Luke 10, the beginning part of Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72 and he gives them instructions. He, you're extending my kingdom. I'm, I'm sending you out. I'm giving you authority. You're going to go in my name. You're going to preach and you're going to, he, you're going to pray for people. You're going to cast out demons. You're going, to, you're, going to have, you're, going to, you're going to experience, you're going to do some great things in my name so that my name gets in my, this, my father's kingdom gets expanded. And so he gives them instructions. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't, don't greet anyone on the road. You know, stay at a house, of, a house of peace and on and on and on. So they do this. And then in verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. We have seen spirits come out of people just like you did, God. We saw that happen by the authority that you gave us. And so they're excited. They're like, this is like we're coming back from a field trip and it's been awesome. Wow. Look what God did. And so they're, they're, they're excited. And Jesus said in verse 18, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Verse 20, look at this though, verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, as awesome as that is, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus says the bigger party, the bigger ring the bell moment. Yeah, I'm so thankful that the demons are responding to uh, your, your command as you, as you rebuke them. Awesome. But let me tell you, the more exciting thing is that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, that you have, you have been accepted by your Father in heaven. You are one of his children, and he calls you his own. Now that Get, let that settle into your heart because that's, that's the rejoicing that Jesus speaks to. And I love verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Mm, I love that phrasing because a lot of people, when they think about Jesus, yeah, he, he was serious and he meant business and he did a lot of hard and heavy things. But one of the things we know about Jesus is that because of who he is, he also carried with him the presence of joy. 
And so there he is through the Holy Spirit, through, through the Holy Spirit, full of joy, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. God, you intended for this to happen. When he called those fishermen, they were not the educated class. They were not the Pharisees. They were not the scribes. They weren't in the temple. They didn't go to the best schools. These were common, everyday, ordinary people. And he called them to himself. And they hung with him for those three years. And they learned some things from him. They received some things from him. And now they're going out to practice them in Luke chapter 10. And they're coming back full of excitement. And they're ringing the bell. Bing, 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 bing. They're ringing the bell. And Jesus, in essence, rings the bell with them. That's why I shared that with you this morning. That, to me, that's a, he's, he's full of joy. He's, he's, he's teaching them, hey, this is cool. I'm glad. But there's even a greater thing to ring the bell about. So don't lose sight of that. But I love that phrase, full of joy. He, he, he's in the moment with them. And I really believe that's indicative of, of, of your life as well, and my life. As we follow him and move with him and obey him and learn from him, and he see, we see him do things in our lives, there are moments in our life when he's just ding, 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 ding. He's ringing that bell. And we are too. Because we sense God's work. This is the Father's good pleasure. I love that. <clears throat> There's, a, there's another layer on this value that we want to peel back this morning because we're really talking about being a family. A church is a family. And when we rejoice and celebrate God's work in each other's lives, we're talking about how God has called us to love each other. And I made a note here, families celebrate together, right? Now, maybe you were in a family that didn't. It happens. But I want to say to you that part of being a family is that we are investing in one another's lives. And so when good things happen in the family, we ring the bell. When our, one of our children does something great, we ring the bell. We, we told our kids often, hey, we're a team. And so we're, going, we're, we're in this together. And so when one does great, we're all going to come alongside and we're going to, when someone graduates, yes. When someone has a birthday, yes. When someone does something awesome and gets to school, yes. You know, we're, this, is, this is our value as a family. When someone exceeds, excels on the, on, the, on the athletic field, we're going to get behind that. Yes, yes, yes. So in family, we want to create that environment where we are celebrating one another. And so spiritually, we want to do that in God's family. Healthy churches and healthy families know how to encourage one another. Encouragement runs deeper than great job, that a boy. It includes great job and it includes that a boy, that a girl, but it's more than that. Marshall Siegel said this. He said, the way we often use the word encouragement today, it could mean mere comfort or affirmation. I, you did a great job on that project, or you're a very good mother, or everything's going to be okay. But biblical encouragement, he says, though often rich with affirmation, offers something far stronger and more invigorating. While poor encouragement may inflame pride or coddle self-pity, real encouragement cultivates humility, courage, and above all, hope in God. True encouragement is not about making others feel better, about themselves, 
but preparing them to know, obey, and enjoy more of God. Wow, I love that. You know, we want to affirm one another, yes, but we also want to encourage one another to press on into the things of God. That's a part of this. How does God encourage someone? How do we encourage someone? And Seagull uses the, uh, the, the passage there from Joshua chapter 1 where, you know, be strong and courageous, Joshua. And that whole passage, we'll refer to some of that as we go through this. But the first thing, the first way we encourage someone is we encourage, true encouragement tells the truth. Okay? Tells the truth. The godly encourager speaks the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. And so I have a note here. Watch out for flattery. Flattery can poison people. Proverbs 29, verse 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. You know how they used to catch some of the animals going through the woods? They put a net out. You maybe hide it under some leaves or under some, some twigs or branches, and then that when the animal went through, the net would catch him, right? And so here we are. He said, watch out for flattery. It can have that effect. God tells us the truth about who he is and about who we are and about his plans for our lives. And so there in Joshua chapter 1, he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So Joshua, I'm going to use you. You're going to be the one who leads my people into the promised land. I've already spoken it, and now I'm encouraging you that it's going to come to pass, and you're going to have a role in it. Wow. What a, what a high calling when God speaks that word. Hmm. God tells the truth. When it comes to telling the truth, we commend what is commendable without feeling the need to exaggerate. And I'm sure we're all guilty at times of exaggerating. It happens. We're people. But our, but our MO is, I don't want to fluff it up. We also don't overlook or excuse sin, but we confront, we forgive, and we restore from the same love with which we affirm. So the heart that says, I, I love you, you're doing, you're doing great, God's working in your life, keep moving towards him, is the same heart that when it needs to happen and we need to have the hard conversation or we need to talk about that thing that didn't go well or that sin issue that's plaguing, we can still do that because love motivates both sides of that. That's what I love about true encouragement. It's concerned with the truth. And the truth is what sets us free. And so please understand that. Second thing about encouragement here, it, it aims at obedience. And Joshua, God says to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous, Joshua, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. In other words, Joshua, stay on track. Keep moving. Keep work. Keep following me, trusting me. Don't go right. Don't go left. Keep coming straight. And so that's the word. This kind of encouragement is not merely about standing up to opposition or overcoming fears, although we need encouragement to overcome fears. And we need encouragement when we're facing down an enemy or opposition. Yes, we do. But this kind of encouragement is also about trusting and obeying all that God says, encouraging each other in that. And so the question here is, does your encouragement 
bear the fruit of difficult obedience in every good work and word. In other words, does it help others say yes to God? That's really one of the things that as I work with people and I'm trying to discern what's going on in the situation as we talk about it, the end that I'm leaning towards, wanting to lean, is helping this person say yes to God, whatever that is. It could be a thousand different things that God might be working in the situation, but I want to help him or her say yes to God because obedience will always be honored. Obedience will always lead to blessing in our lives. And so biblical encouragement will lead us towards that place of obeying our Father and saying yes to our Father in heaven. And then the third thing here is that encouragement is strengthens hope in God. Not ourselves, but in God. And so he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He is with you, Joshua. Here's the thing. Flattery makes God seem nice, but unnecessary. Catch that. Flattery makes God seem nice, but unnecessary. That is that God is a cheerleader for our self-sufficiency. And that's not true at all. God's not a cheerleader. God is our source. God is our strength. God is our portion. God is the one who does the work. And so he's, he's moving to, to accomplish his work in us. He's not just a, cheer, a glorified cheerleader. There, there is a world of difference between you can do this versus God will be with you. All right? You can do this. Hey, we want to say that to one another. But the truth is, it's more important to say, hey, God will be with you. Whatever you're going to face, wherever you're headed, whatever you're confronting, the big thing is, I don't know if you can do it. In fact, you probably can't do it, but God can. And he will be with you. And so that's, that's, that's the message, right, in terms of encouragement. How often do we accentuate what we have done or can do rather than taking refuge in what God has promised to do for and through us because of Christ. This, that is what we are celebrating, what God can do. So we talk about celebrating life, but really it's more than that. It's, we're celebrating what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do in our lives through his Son and the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this latest sermon. For more Prof Church, check out our YouTube at Prof Church Lancaster, Follow us on Facebook at Prof Church Life, on Instagram at Prof Church, or visit our website, provchurch.net. Thank you for listening, and be sure to make it a great day.